All right, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you would, please. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin by taking a look at verse number 20 by itself, and then we're going to work our way through the chapter a little bit, going back to verse 1 and looking at the story of Jesus being born. Now, if you weren't with us in our Sunday school hour, we talked about all the technicalities behind Jesus coming into the world and the date that is commonly given and how we should operate and use this spiritual holiday to our advantage, especially when it comes to reaching others. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 20, we're going to now get to the practical side of the birth of Christ. In verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Can you see here, folks, that the birth of Jesus Christ brought great joy and it brought great praise and glory being given unto God. And that's exactly how we want to use this time of the year. If I could ask you to please bow your heads with me, we're going to have a word of prayer. Ask God to help us and then we'll look at the chapter. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to be here God, what a blessing to open up the Word, to talk about your Son, to think about you manifesting yourself in human form, coming down to save us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Please help me to preach, Father. Please fill me with your Spirit. And Lord, if there's somebody or somebody's here today that have never personally come to you for salvation, might this be the day that they walk away rejoicing and glorifying you for that free and eternal life. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, anytime we talk about a child coming into the world, there's always one important part that goes with that, and that is naming the baby. Amen. Did any of you struggle with that when your kids came into the world? Caleb was almost a Christopher. Did you know that? You were almost Christopher. I grew up in the days of Michael Jordan, so Christopher Jordan was going to be his name. I I was even pushing for Jordan Christopher. I didn't care which way, and then, thank God, Christina vetoed that and went with Caleb Daniel. Much better, much better. But uh, there can be much discussion about what a name is and isn't going to be. Even in the Bible, we see sometimes where God tells us, before the child is born, you're going to name it this or that. Even with Jesus, right? In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a verse I think most of you are familiar with, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and it says his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When the angel told Mary, you're going to have a a boy, and said, you're going to name the boy Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus means something. It means Jehovah saves. It's those two words. In the Old Testament, they would have said Joshua, but when you spell it coming from Greek to English, it comes out Jesus, but it means Jehovah saves. They said, you'll, you'll call this boy Emmanuel, God with us. And as we go through the Bible, Jesus has a number of fitting names and titles. King of Kings, right? You're familiar with that one. Lord of Lords. Did you know in Deuteronomy, it, he's called the God of Gods. I like in Daniel, it says he's the prince of princes. Now, we could go on and on through the alphabet uh, giving Jesus these names because he is the best of all of that there is, right? I, by the grace of God, I'd like to use one extra title today, and it'll be the title of my sermon. I'm going to talk about Jesus as the shepherd of shepherds. He is the shepherd of shepherds. Now, this chapter, uh, verses 1 to 20, it breaks into three nice parts. 
We're not going to spend long on part one or part two. We'll, we'll read through it, take a look at it. We're going to focus our attention mainly in part three where the shepherds uh, come into the story. So chapter two and verse one, if you read along with me, it says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. You know, I love how the Bible gives us such details. It pays attention to those little details so that we can track it back into history and verify these facts, which, by the way, the historians have done. They have verified that these men were alive and making these proclamations at this time. In verse 3, it says, All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was, the, uh, he was of the house and lineage of David. It says he went there in verse 5 to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I don't see a whole lot of practical advice I can give you from verses 1 to 4, maybe a little bit in verse 5. Uh, if anything, he, here's what you get. This probably isn't your typical Christmas message, right? Pay your taxes. <laughs> Pay your taxes. <laughs> Was the Roman government an upright, corruption-free government? No. Did it have issues beyond belief? But imagine, imagine if Joseph wouldn't have been a taxpayer, Imagine if he had skipped out, then the prophecy wouldn't have come to pass. Jesus wouldn't have been born in Bethlehem. Micah would have been wrong. So, hey, paying taxes isn't that bad of a thing, right? In this case, it helped fulfill a, bi a biblical prophecy. But please, I, if you uh, do much of your own study, maybe you've come across skeptics that focus some attention here, and they say that this part of the Bible is a mistake. Luke had his dates wrong. There was no taxation at this time. But the historians have proved that it happened around that time. The, the problem is, they say, well, the taxation took place in 6 B.C. or 4 A.D., and Jesus was born in, of course, zero. Well, the one problem with that, back in the day, nobody used zero. It wasn't even a, considered a number back in those days. You go from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D., Furthermore, they didn't have B.C. and A.D. back then. They didn't write down the dates. You don't see Luke saying it was 6 B.C. or 4 A.D. He just said there was a guy in control and he made this taxation. And it ha Those facts have been verified. I always think it's strange when they say Jesus was born in 4 B.C., right? It, B.C., before Christ, it, it, whenever he's born, you're going to have to scoot your numbers, right? You're going to have to redo that part. But not much practical I want to bring out to you in the first part of the chapter. Now, part two, if you can look at verse five again with me, it says, he went there to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I've heard a lot of preaching, a lot of good preaching come out of this passage, and you can see why. At the end of verse 7, it talks about there being no room in the inn for Jesus. And I think that speaks loudly to what goes on with society. And even us as individuals, we don't have enough room for the Lord Jesus in our life. I've heard some people say that the innkeeper was some sort of a wicked man. Because here comes this uh, family with baby Jesus in tow about to be born and he denies them room and board and says, listen, you've got to go sleep out in the barn. I don't think this was an act of hatred on the innkeeper's part. I don't see anything in the passage that would indicate that. 
I do, though, I do think that there's a possibility. We need to explore in verse number five. Notice the wording here. It was Mary, his espoused wife. The marriage wasn't official yet. It's his espoused wife. Can you imagine now, we know the story. We, we don't even blink at this because we know what's going on here. But can you imagine what society around them were saying about this? Here comes Joseph and Mary trotting into town. Mary's bumping along on the back of the donkey and, and that's got to be a rough ride for a nine-month pregnant woman, right? And, and uh, probably praying the whole way. And people are whispering and gossiping. I don't see the rings on their fingers and I don't think they're married. <gasps> She's great with child. Oh, shame. Can you imagine how the gossip must have circulated as the months went by and Mary's stomach grew? Oh, it, it had to have been very difficult for them in those days. I'm not sure. The, the passage doesn't say this, so please understand when I'm giving an opinion and not, not a fact from the story here. But could it, be, could it be that the innkeeper and maybe some of the other people staying there when Mary and Joseph came to the check-in counter, that somebody uh, say? Do you know who this is? You can't give them a room. Do you know what kind of couple there is? They're, they're not decent. Those aren't good folks. They're not upstanding folks. And maybe based on some gossip, maybe the innkeeper said no. Did you know that there's a lot of people that reject Jesus because they get bad information about him? People don't understand what it means for Jesus to come into the world that we use terms like virgin birth and resurrection from the dead and, and for some rational scholastic mind they say but this you know how can that work and, and they don't hear the whole story about Jesus about how it all happened and based on bad information they turn him away I know that's a practical reality but I don't even know if that's what's happening here I'm just saying that's a possibility you know what I really think happened these are the days of the taxation yes everybody had to leave wherever they were living and go back to their hometown. This little town of Bethlehem, and it was a little town, right? You know how we, they put it in a song, that's how we know. A little town of Bethlehem. So we know it was a little town. <laughs> but it was a little town. And here comes all these people going back home for the registration. They all need a hotel room. They all need a place to stay. And the inn was full. If you are Mary and Joseph, are you traveling quickly? Can you move quickly? If you're nine months pregnant and ride in on a donkey, you can't go quickly. Please, honey, slow down. What we call grandma low. I don't know if you use that here in South Africa. But in America, if you're going real slow, you're going grandma low. Amen. They, 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 were, they were in mother, mother with child low, real low. They're going slow. They're one of the last ones to get to the inn. And I can just see the innkeeper saying, listen, I don't know you in shame. I, I can see you're really, you're really in a difficult situation here. I'm sorry, I don't have room. Why? Business. Other people came before you did and I've already given out all the rooms so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm too busy for you. I wonder if there's a lesson in that. It wasn't hatred on his part. I seriously doubt that. I don't think, I don't think he was upset with this family. I think he was just too busy to have them in and in so doing he doesn't realize what he's missing out on. Now, bless his heart, he did make room. He said, listen, you can go out to the barn. We got a few mangers out there. I, that might make do. But I wonder how many of us, because our lives are just so slam-packed with clutter, when a special occasion comes along, we don't take time to recognize that God is bringing something important into our lives. 
And it's not because we hate God. It's not because we don't want to be involved. We're just already so committed and involved in every other aspect in life. We don't have time for these special and blessed moments. Just think back on this year a little bit, will you? Were you able to spend as much time doing something for God as you had wished? It's impossible to know what we've missed, right? You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you've missed. But I wonder this year, if you look back at 2018 and say, did I get to serve God as much as I wanted? Did I want to be in church as much as I should have been? Did I spend as much time with God in in prayer? And I'm not saying that you were guilty of some horrible sin that kept you from it. You're probably, if anything like me, just too busy. And there's no room in that little inn. There's a song in our hymn book. We didn't sing it this morning, but it goes perfectly with this. Page number 241. You might be familiar with it. God help me with my voice going out. I don't know if I can sing it perfectly, but the song says, Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin, as he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? The second verse, room for pleasure. Listen to this. Room for pleasure room for business but for Christ the crucified not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died why is there no room it's not hatred for God it's not that you despise the cross you have nothing against Jesus you're just too busy to appreciate such a special occasion the end of that song what a great verse room and time now give to Jesus Soon will pass God's day of grace. Soon thy heart left cold and silent and thy Savior's pleading cease. You know that song ends with the chorus there? Room for Jesus, King of glory. Hasten now his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open. Bid him enter while you may. Room for Jesus. Now they didn't have it. I think they were just too busy. Now that's part two. I'd like to focus our attention on part three. Verse number eight, if you would, please. In verse number eight, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. As I've read this, I've wondered on many occasions, why did God just show up to shepherds? Why them? Could it be their proximity that they were close enough to the barn that they could actually walk and get there? Maybe they were familiar enough to move through the fields at nighttime? But if you want somebody to verify the birth of, of the King of Kings, right? The mighty God, the everlasting Father. Why not invite the big shots? Why not uh, invite uh, the, the president and the, and, uh, the governors? And the, why not invite the politicians? Why not invite the religious big shots? Why not go knock on the door of the high priest and say, wake up, man. Here's the one we've been talking about in the Old Testament for 1,500 years. Go, go see it happen. Why not them? Well, again, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he chose shepherds, but it is kind of fitting that if the Lamb of God is going to be born, you get shepherds to come witness it, right? If there's anybody that's going to be interested in a lamb coming into the world, it's shepherds. 
And I would also dare say that the shepherds were humble enough to react to what God was showing them. I don't know why it is. And it's not always like this. There are exceptions to the rule. But I'm sure you've noticed this. When you're trying to deal with any sort of big shot, politician, especially the religious ones, it's so hard. It's so hard to get them to sit in awe of the Lord Jesus. It always becomes some technical argument and let me see your degrees and then I'll move. And these shepherds said, hey, this has got to be God doing something special. And because I would say they were humble enough to come, they left the 90 and 9 in the field and went and found that one little lamb. Now this one wasn't lost, mind you. <laughs> but they went and found that one little lamb. In verses 9 down to 11, especially in verse 11, it says, the angel says, this, uh, this boy that is born, he is the Savior, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now understand, that means a little bit, it means a something different to you and me now. We know that Jesus has died, he's paid for our sins, he rose again the third day, and salvation is a free gift through him. We know that. And when we say Savior, that's what we mean. We are in danger of paying for our sins, spending an eternity separated from God in what the Bible calls hell, and, and we cannot save ourselves from that. We had to have someone else, God, coming into this world, taking our sins upon him and making the payment for us. That's what we mean by Savior. Yes? That's what you mean by it? I hope today, if you've never understood it that way, that that's the understanding you come to by the end of the day. But when these shepherds heard this, in a Jewish uh, culture, for the last four or five hundred years, six hundred years of their existence they have been waiting for their Messiah to show up and save them from the enemy they're under Roman oppression and Roman rule and they want to be saved they want their kingdom back and that when they hear this they don't even see the full scope of who is being born they see it as the Messiah and thank God that's true they don't even realize what he came to do for them personally for individual salvation it wasn't just to save Israel as a nation it was to come and save each individual from their sins against God in verse number 12 it says and this sign shall be unto you ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger I find that interesting that God put that in there he could have told the shepherds now go down to the barn and uh you'll see something special. He could have just said that. That would have been true. Then they get there and say, yep, don't see that every day. There's a baby in a barn. <laughs> There's a baby in a manger. What you know about that? Right? That would have been noteworthy. You could have told stories about that later, but you wouldn't necessarily consider that divine. But when God, through the angel, says, listen, go to, go to this inn, and when you get there, you're going to see a babe in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, now see, had they happened upon this without hearing from the angel first, eh, it's just tufalach, you know, coincidence. But now that God has told them beforehand what to expect, they get there and go, oh, now wait a minute. Yes, baby in a barn, that's a little weird, but the angel told us exactly what we would see, and now we're seeing it come to pass. Folks, do you know how exciting it is? And I, I hope you can grab a hold of this today. When you read through the Bible, and you read clearly what God is going to do in your life. You take step A and step B and God's going to do C, D, E, and F. And then you take those steps and you see God begin to work. If you have already heard beforehand what he's going to do, 
and what things you should see, it makes it more than tufalech. It's not just, oh, look what happened in life. Maybe it was an accident. I don't know how this happened. God told you beforehand from the Bible what to expect, and now you get to see it play out in your life. Do you know how exciting that is? Do you, know, do you know that's where I got my assurance for salvation? I, I got saved and I sat in a Bible-believing church and they opened up the Word of God and I began to get taught and the pastor says, now look at this verse. This will happen in your life. Look at that verse. You'll expect this. As a child of, good, a child of God, you'll see this happen. And as the months went by, I began to see it. Good and bad stuff. I began to recognize a struggle within me, the flesh lusting against the Spirit. Now, had I... Had I not had a Bible to explain that, I would have panicked and said, no, wait a minute, I thought I was saved. I thought Jesus was living inside. Why do I still struggle with doubts and sin and anger? And why do I still have these issues? But the Bible told me that I would have a spiritual wrestling match going on within me. So now I'm seeing the Word of God validated. I know that it's Him at work. These shepherds saw the same thing. So I'm not so sure that this story about Jesus coming to pay for my sins is true. You know, I'm a church member. I think that's good enough for me. I don't think you have to be born again. If you want to validate and you want to know that it's true, give it a try. Because it says in the Bible, when you get born again, you become one of his children. He begins to work in you, changing you, and conforming you to Christ's image. He's told you what to expect. Now go ahead and verify it. Go ahead and take that step and accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Now, in verse number 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is another way of saying God is extending a gracious and helping hand. On earth peace, goodwill to more men. The, the angels have gathered, they're singing, they're excited about this. You know what I find interesting? You know when Jesus talked about the angels gathering to get excited? When one sinner repents. Isn't that right? You've read that? Remember the 99, the one sheep goes astray, the shepherd finds that sheep, comes back, and it says, in heaven, the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. It's almost as if the angels are getting warmed up. Like, all right, now the Savior's coming to the world, man, this is going to be good. Finally, finally, mankind is going to have a chance to come back to God, to draw nigh, and to have that relationship that God has always desired with them. Since the Garden of Eden, now it can come right. Now, I don't know about you, please don't, don't take this wrong. If you're not a movie watcher, please, please don't be offended by this. I, I, I enjoy a good movie now and then. You ever seen when it gets to the good part and the hero breaks onto the scene? There's always good background music, right? Always. I mean, the music kind of builds and builds and builds and it crescendos and, ah, oh, there's the hero. Did you know God had that 2,000 years before Hollywood figured it out? <laughs> As the hero burst onto the scene, he says, all right, angels, let's show, let's show them what background music is all about. <laughs> And they start to belt it out. You know, you get saved and Jesus enters into your soul. You know, I've heard it on more than one occasion. When Jesus enters in, all of a sudden you get the joy bells ringing in your heart. And if you listen close enough, you can almost hear the heavenly host up there rejoicing over the one sinner that's repented. And you can have a little bit of taste of, this is Jesus entering the world. 
But the same type of thing is true when he enters your heart, when you as a sinner repent, all of heaven's hosts start to praise God and say, this is wonderful peace on earth to this man. Goodwill to this man. What a wonderful occasion. I thought about singing it. I was, I was so tempted, so tempted. But I didn't want to surprise my daughter with an extra song. But we sing it around here. Heaven came down. And glory filled my soul. Did you know that's a good way to sum up the Christmas story? (laughs) Heaven came down. And in in so doing, glory can fill our soul. All right, now all of that was my introduction. Here comes the sermon, amen. Okay, here we go. Here's the sermon. That was part one, part two, and part three A. Now three B, this is the real sermon. I have a two-point sermon. It's called Come and See. That's point A. Point B, Go and Tell. (laughs) How simple is that, right? Go, come and see. Go and tell. Watch this. The shepherds in verse 15. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Do you know what the shepherds did not say? Huh. That was lecker. <laughs> That was special. That was interesting. Man. Oh well. They, they, they didn't just blow that off. When God did something special, they reacted. They reacted. You have the reaction of the shepherds here in verse 15. Look in the middle of it. Let us, and I got it circled in my Bible, now. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. They didn't say, let us go tomorrow. They didn't put it off, not one extra moment. By the time the heavenly choir got done doing their thing, they said, okay, right now, let us now go to Bethlehem. The Bible says in verse number 8 that they were watching over their flock in the middle of the night, yes? Do you know that these shepherds could have made several excuses? If I'm one of them, I might have made the excuse, I don't know. You know what, if I'm one of those shepherds, I roll over and I look at my iPhone and I say, man, it's 2 in the morning. (laughs) I'm sure that the baby will still be there in four hours when I'm done sleeping. (laughs) I mean, it's a baby. ain't going nowhere. (laughs) That's what I do. You know what I would say? I would say, but I got all these sheep in the field. I have other commitments. I got a job. I got a family. I got bills to pay. I got things to do. I'm an important person. I don't have time. I, I... Not right now. Listen, I might make some time later when I get vacation from my shepherding thing. Maybe then I'll go check it out. Isn't it amazing how... Now, now those those excuses ring true, right? It's amazing how common they are amongst us. They could have made those excuses. It's late. Who's going to watch the flock if we go? They could have said it's dark. not, Not safe to travel this time of night. But they didn't. When God came knocking at their heart, no excuses. They didn't say, but I'm a member of such and such a synagogue, and it's not our belief to go to mangers and see babies. (laughs) They didn't put it off. They say, well, in my tradition, the way I was raised, we don't don't get up when angels sing. They they didn't do that. When God started to work, it didn't matter their background, didn't matter their culture, none of that mattered. All that mattered is we've got to see what God's doing. God has reached out to us. He has manifested himself to us. We need to react. Let's go and see. Verse number 16, it says, And they came, look at the next two words, with 
haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They found exactly what God said they would find. I have found it in the 22 plus years that I've been saved. God's never disappointed me when he says he's going to do something. I find him so faithful and true to his word. But I also find when I take it upon myself to react to what God is doing, it's so much better. What did James say? James 4 verse 8, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Can I make this statement? Please take this in. You're as close to Jesus as you want to be. You are as close to Jesus as you want to be. Do you think he's going to stop you from drawing closer? Do you think if you rise up, whether it's morning, noon, or night, whether it's the lecker white Christmas, the snow of America, the horrible heat of South Africa, whatever the case is, whatever your situation in life is, whatever you're going through, you put all that aside and say, that's it, I'm going to take this more seriously. This is an incredibly special moment, a special person. I've got to go see what God's doing there. And they got up right then and there, and they went with haste. They went with haste. There's a little bit of passion in that. It wasn't just another night in the field. It wasn't just, eh, it's Sunday, you know, let's get it over with. They really took some time and put in some effort to go seeing this little boy. I, yesterday, and, and so many days this has happened, but yesterday was such a wonderful day. I've been praying for the last two or three weeks that God would let me win somebody to Christ because I haven't had that opportunity in a few weeks. I said, God, please prepare somebody. I know it's holiday and everybody's moving about and doing different things. We went out in the streets yesterday and I came across a young man, stopped him. His name was Eric. Asked him if he knew Jesus as his Savior. He didn't. Said he'd like to. Took him through the verses, stood there in that hot sun. Oh, praise God for that hot sun. I stood there in that hot sun. You guys don't understand. I got British blood in me. I burn quick. I'm standing there. You know you love Jesus when you witness out in the sun like that. I stood there with that Bible and I showed him how to get saved and I got to the end and I explained how he, was, he had broken God's laws and because of that he can't be allowed into heaven. He's guilty, he's not innocent. And, and, but Jesus still loved him and came and died in his place and no matter what he did, he couldn't save himself because he'd already fallen short. But, but if he'd accept Jesus, then he could be reconciled to God and born again. And I got to the end, I said, Eric, you don't have to do this now. I, I always do that with people. Because I don't want to be the one pushing them into a decision. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, not me. So my job is the messenger. I'll tell you how to get saved and then let the Holy Ghost get you the rest of the way. So I said, Eric, you don't have to do this now. If you want to receive Christ, I showed him Romans 10, 13. You can call upon the name of the Lord. He promises that you'll be saved. If you're genuine from your heart about it, you can be saved right now. But you don't have to do that now. I said, how about you wait? How about you go home and think about it a little bit, read through the gospel track, make sure you understand. He said, but why? That's a good answer. But, but why? I said, well, just so that you're sure. He said, I am sure. I said, okay. I said, you don't want to wait till tomorrow to receive Jesus. Why? <laughs> I, said, I could tell now I'm confusing him a little bit. I wanted him to be genuine about it, but I think we've established that. He said, I don't want to wait one more minute. Do you know how exciting that is? When, when you've tried to hold a sinner back and he says, now stop it, stop it. Let me get to my Savior. <laughs> That's exciting. That's exciting. I was in a church service once in Florida. 
Dr. Ruckman, we were having a special type of revival meeting and we had a, a, a special preacher come in. He was a singer as well. He, he could, man, he could play that piano. You've heard me talk about him before, maybe Rex Harrison. He was a cripple, so came up with his crutches. He'd lay them aside. And Rex, before Rex got saved, he used to play in bars and taverns and, you know, kind of a, kind of a shady background. But then after he got saved, a little while after, he was playing in a bar one night, lights low, and some drunk guy came up to the piano, put a, put a, said, said, man, you remind me of God. <laughs> well, Rex had just been saved. He said, man, I can't play here anymore. He said, man, God done found me everywhere I'm at. So he ended up in church. He became an evangelist, and, and did a, he was a wonderful, wonderful preacher. But Rex would come through once a year and sing and play during this revival meeting. He would put the crutches aside, no papers. He would just do it all by, by, by memory and by heart, by ear. He would start to play. He'd go for 45 minutes and never stop. He'd go from one song to the next, and man, Dr. Ruckman, just to mess with him a little bit, would turn the lights down in the church real nice and low. Set the, he said, now, now, Brother Rex, you feel right at home. <laughs> and, and there was one, one of those meetings Marco Perez, some of you know the name. He's a missionary in Colombia. He was in my, in my class at Bible school. We were praying for his sister to get saved. We've been praying for her for months, maybe even a, a couple years. And while Rex was singing, everybody, I mean, we're just enjoying the singing and worshiping God. People are coming forward to pray and they're repent. I mean, it was something special. The Lord was moving through there. And we saw... Marco's sister rise up nobody asked her to nobody pushed her to do it she just rose up and with haste she came marching down to the front fell to her knees right there in the front and asked Christ to save her but see there was a, about a hundred of us that had been praying for her and we got to see God answer that I don't know 15 16 month old prayer we saw that young lady come with haste I tell you that's exciting that's exciting. Friend, please don't put God off one day longer. I saw it happen a couple months ago in this church. As soon as we finished, final amen. You know how we do. We all stand. We had the invitation in Jesus' name, amen. And people begin to scatter and one lady, boom, came around. There were other people starting to queue up. I don't know if she pushed them out of the way or not, but she somehow wham right to the front of the line. She, she took my hand. She said, Pastor, I get it now. I understand it now. I said, would you like to get saved? She said, right now. She came up on the stage and she gave her heart to Christ and, and it was great. I saw her run back to her husband. Her husband wraps his arms around her. I tell you, that's, that's the time when you sing songs like Joy to the World. <laughs> that's when you feel heaven come down and a little bit of glory filling your soul. But these shepherds, they had to go and see and they did it with haste. Now listen, I don't know what God's doing in your life, but quit putting it off. Rise up and go with haste and get involved in what God's doing. And then the last thing we'll look at in verse 17 and onwards, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. First, come and see. And they did. They saw that it was everything God told them it would be. And the next thing they did was go and tell. Now that we've seen how real it is, we've seen the scripture fulfilled in front of us, we've got to go tell somebody else what God's doing here. 
I love how it's worded in verse 17. When they had seen it, they made known abroad. Now, I know they didn't get in a boat and travel to other lands, but that's what I'm thinking of, right? I'm thinking, let's put people on planes and send them to Russia and to India, yes? Send them all over the world. Send them to Mozambique. Praise God, I forgot to mention, thank you for play, praying for Agrippa. They had six souls saved last week in Mozambique. Isn't that great? Made it back safely. But we want to send people abroad with this great story. And do you realize they, they had only one small part of the story? All they had was the first day. <laughs> Not even a full day worth of Jesus to talk about. And you couldn't stop them from talking about it. They went everywhere and said, guess what I heard? Guess what I saw? Man, the angels this, the singing that, the babe in the manger, that's got to be God. It's got to be God. With only a few hours experience with Jesus in the world, and you couldn't shut them up, off they went everywhere. What about you, friend? Have you come? Have you seen? Have you tasted and seen that the, Lord, that the Lord is good? If you have, how can we hold you back from going and telling? Making this good news available to others. Don't you know that the shepherds, as soon as they saw this, they got home and they told their families. Right? The shepherds go home, wake their wives up, wake their kids up. You've got to hear what happened. You know, the kids are, Dad, Dad, stop bothering us. He's like, you've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. And the next time they're at the market, everybody they bump into, man, you got to hear this story. Everywhere they went, they couldn't stop telling somebody what they knew of Jesus. Guys, we have so much more of the story. Oh, my soul. We have 33 years worth of the story. I, I purposely, I was going to choose all Christmas songs, you know, songs about the birth of Jesus. And today I thought, eh, not sure how many people are still in town. Let me choose a few songs that we know. I gave you one, right? Oh, come all ye faithful. So I gave you that. But then I chose 496, Victory in Jesus. But I got, I got Christmas in there. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. Christmas. <laughs> and then we get right to the cross. <laughs> and we tell you this wonderful story. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. Because that's what a good shepherd does. The shepherd of shepherds. If these shepherds, these humble little shepherds would get up and, and with haste, with passion, rise up and go see the Savior, don't you know that the shepherd of shepherds, he returned the favor and said, now I will seek and save that which is lost. I'm going to go everywhere and tell them all about the Father. And when Jesus went back to heaven, you know what he told us? As the Father sent me, so send I you. I came down with haste, with passion, with, with a fervency to tell sinners how to be saved. Now I'm giving you that job. Run and tell them all abroad. I heard an old, old story. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. We got the whole story. There is no better story. They, it, it says, call him Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. Do you see his death is in view with his birth? You see, I mean, we know that everybody's going to pass away. That's how life goes. But when, with Jesus, there was a special function to his death. His birth, he was brought into the world so that he could be cut off for our sins, the Bible says. Now it's up to us to go tell it abroad. I, 
I want to share with you one of my most special, maybe the most special Christmas memory I have in closing today. It was Christmas Day. Was it Christmas Day? Yeah, Christmas Day, 2001. I told you in Sunday school, I've never had family come visit me. This is my first Christmas that that has ever happened because now our oldest has moved away. But I have gone to visit my family for Christmas. I went to see my sister one time. 2001, my sister is saved. She's the only other saved person in our family. My dad, our dad, is unsaved. Very religious, very unsaved. My dad, as he was growing up, was taught it is wrong, it is sinful to visit another church. You're not allowed to listen to anybody except their church. Well, the church we were visiting, there in, my sister was in California at the time, the church we were visiting, her church, the pastor didn't like me. He didn't like where I went to Bible school. Let's say it that way. There's no reason that he should have done this, but for whatever reason he did, he came to me a few days before that Christmas service and he said, Brother Flick, would you do me the favor of preaching this special service? First time he'd ever allowed somebody from a different Bible school to be in his pulpit. I said, sir, I'd be honored. And now we went to my dad said, Dad, listen, we know that you are, you're not comfortable being in another church, but, but Mike is going to be preaching. Would you please come and hear him preach? And my dad thought about it and thought about it for three or four days. We prayed like crazy and he said, all right, I'll go listen to him preach. His first time ever in any other kind of church. My dad was 55. I got up to preach and, and folks, I've, I've felt the Lord move while I've preached before, but my goodness, well, I had prayed so much. I was so, so focused on that opportunity. I didn't preach long, but I talked about the gift of God and how any sinner could have it for free. I told him how, because of our sin, we'll never do good enough to earn salvation. We have to take it by faith. It's an offer of God's grace. That's the only way to be saved. And about 20 minutes into that sermon, the whole time my dad had his head down. And about 20 minutes in, I, he lifted up his head, and for the first time I saw his eyes and tears were running down his cheeks. And my heart broke right there on the spot. I thought maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God is getting in there. Maybe this is the day. After the service got done, we went outside. Our children were very young at the time, so we went over to, I think, what you guys call the creche, the nursery, to pick the children up. So it was myself and my sister, and my dad came over. He made a beeline straight through the crowd. He walked over to me, and he took my hand. And he said, son you know that I don't agree with everything you said, but you did a good job. Now that was the first time my dad had ever let me tell him the entire gospel. We're still praying. We're still, what now, 17 years later, we're, we're still praying that that seed sinks down and that it takes root and that he gets saved. He's still not saved. But I'll never forget that Christmas, what an honor it was to stand and tell somebody I love not only why Jesus came, but what he can do for them because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Sinner, it is my great honor today to tell you. It doesn't matter if you've been in church your whole life. It doesn't matter what denomination of churchgoer you are that has nothing to do with it. Jesus came to save sinners. And if you've never asked him to save you, you can humble your heart and say, Lord, I know I don't deserve heaven. I'm not that good of a person. I I'm a sinner. Please 
save me. If the scripture holds up, and I'm sure it will, you will have such unspeakable joy that you'll react much like these shepherds. Come and see. Go and tell. What a great opportunity we have in Christmas time to tell somebody else why Jesus came. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Caleb, if you can play something softly, please. While Caleb plays this song and will not take long, I would like you to ask yourself this morning, if you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? One hundred percent. If you died right now and God said, why should I let you come into heaven? What would you tell him? Are you sure that your answer would work? Have you seen in the Bible what the answer is? Church, you know we found out recently it's possible to come to this church for years and years and not properly understand the gospel. Right? We know that. It's a personal decision that you need to make. You're not born into it. Nobody's born into salvation, into Christianity. You're not a Christian because you go to a Christian church. Have you personally accepted the Lord, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? In just a moment, I'll pray and we'll close the service, but can I ask you this? If you're here and you're not 100% sure that you're going to heaven, would you slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. No one's looking. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. Anybody like that? Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. That's, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that hand. Anybody else say, preacher, pray for me. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'd like to be. Thank you, I appreciate that. Wow. Wonderful. I can almost hear the angels singing now. Sinner, one last thing. I'll pray and close the service. You know what you can do? Come with haste. Right where you're at, you can say, Lord Jesus, please, save my soul. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend one more day Without you in my heart, please save me now. Would you do that? If you have any questions, would you find me right after we're done? Please, oh, we'd love to help you. Many of you, you are saved. Please make room in your life for what God's doing. Please go abroad. Tell someone. Tell someone why Jesus came into this world. Tell them what you've seen. Father, thank you. What a privilege it is to know you personally. Thank you for sending your son into this world. Lord, from the very first day, people were rejecting you, pushing you aside, putting you out in the barn. Lord, maybe they were busy. Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe it was bad information. I don't know. God, whoever's here today and 
maybe trying to use an excuse to get around you, please, God, would today be the day they come and see. Lord, you saw those hands go up. Lord, God, please save those souls today, Lord. You and you alone, you have to do that work. Please draw them in. Father, I want to pray for this church as well. Number of saved people here, God, please help us this week to go out, to go abroad and tell someone why Jesus came to this world. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the joy that we experience. It's exactly what you said it would be, better than words. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Please see us home safely and back safely on Tuesday. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.